Welcome to the Compass Church Podcast with Pastor Tim Jacobs, a ministry of Compass Church, Goodyear, Arizona. Join us now as we look into God's Word to be challenged and changed. We're done. Good stuff. We're going to start off a little different today in light of what's going on with, uh, with our country and all that happened in Dallas, Minneapolis, and Baton Rouge. If you do me a favor, just stand up together. Let's hold hands. Um, reach across the aisle. Let's hold hands together. We're just going to pray together over this whole situation. Thank you. Yeah, that's right. Just reach across. I know it's a little different, but let's just pray. Father, we come to you this morning uh, for our country filled with uh, religious hatred, filled with racial hatred, all kinds of different things going on. Um, I have friends um, uh, who, who, growing up, who I know who, who love you so much, who have felt victimized, and it's very easy for them to get cynical and say, here we go again, when they hear different things happening in our world, and I don't have an answer for that. I have other friends who are police officers, whether they're full-time or, or reservists, so um, sacrificing their lives for free in that case. Hearing them talk about how their goal for the night is to bring their partner home to their families. And then to protect and serve, and and this is what ends up happening over the weekend. I don't have an answer for that. All I know is that you will right every wrong in your time. No stone will be left unturned. There are no mysteries with you and you will avenge all wrongs and make them right. That's your promise in your time. Some things we might not even see in this world, but in eternity, we believe in a God who rights all wrongs. And so we pray for truth, we pray for justice, and all these scenarios. We pray for strength for the families of the officers in Dallas. We pray for strength for the the families involved with the gentleman in Minneapolis, the gentleman in Baton Rouge. We ask you to use us to be the reconciliation, reconciliating factor that causes these things to end. We ask it all in Jesus' name. Amen. Have a seat, guys. Thank you. The idea that your worldview does not matter is long gone. I hope you understand that. The way you view the world, the way... You process why we're here on this earth. Your faith, your, what you believe about the origin of where we came from matters so much, particularly in these issues. If you're a believer in Jesus Christ, there is just no place in the gospel for you to view anybody, a human being, any less than valuable because of they are made in the image of God. So whether they are tall or short or white or black or Hispanic or Asian, man or woman, slow or fast, does not matter. They have value because even if they don't believe it, they don't believe in a God. Our scriptures tell us that they have value because they are created in the image of God. This is why we believe so much in the message of Jesus. This is why we try to share the message of Jesus so much all the time around here. This is why we're always trying to reach out because we believe the answer to these situations is not politics, is not litigation. It's the gospel of Jesus. That's what will change people. It'll change their worldview, their ideologies. The solution is Jesus Christ. So remember that when you're sharing with your friends, when you're inviting people to compass, you're being a part of the solution because if people adopt this ideology, these type of things won't happen. 
All right. We're going to shift gears here, and uh, we've been in the series in, in, in really selected scriptures in the book of Psalms, and we're in this series called Open Mic. Uh, really, really cool um, uh, idea. Uh, you, know, you know, Tim came up with the idea is, is that King David, who is the author of the majority of the Psalms, really has an open mic before God. Uh, there are times where he's elated and he loves God and he's worshiping and he's worshiping loudly, he's worshiping softly, expressively, and then sometimes he's timid, whatever, he's, he's just elated with God sometimes. And then a lot of the Psalms are him like lamenting, like, where were you? You said you're going to be here and, and you're not here right now and you're supposed to protect me and I don't feel protected and, and, and these things aren't supposed to happen the way they happen and how come you're not there? And so the idea is that you can have a model by King David, you can have an open mic before God. That you, can, that you can, even the emotional, the raw emotional turmoil of life, that you can be real with God, and God won't squash you. He's more concerned about the process and what the outcome is of that process is than he's worried about your raw emotion at the time. And so that's what we're kind of modeling and, uh, and going off in this little short series. And today we're going to dive a little deeper. And, and, and some of those raw emotions might be kindled up a little bit. And it's going to take some digging for us to get there but I think it's going to be a good thing. I don't know about you, but I'm kind of looking through my life and, and, and kind of looking backwards, and I'm going, man, this just makes me wonder sometimes. Like, what in the world's going on here? I'm going to give you, I was just thinking about this week, I'm going to give you a six-month span of events that happened when I was 14 years old. Six-month span. And the irony is that even, even beyond, there's some things I won't share that still happen within this six months. But it all starts with a helicopter. Uh, I remember going, uh, being at home, hearing a helicopter, seeing lights. Uh, it's one of those police helicopters with a light. If you don't know anything about police helicopters and lights, um, um, if, they're, if the light is moving a lot, that means they haven't found the person yet. Okay, so, so what is a boy to do at 14 years old when he hears a helicopter and sees a light? Go outside, right? Yeah, yeah, that's a smart idea. So I go outside, walk, walk up the street, I just look at the helicopter, I wonder, Man, I live on 32nd. Man, he might be, oh, they were looking over there. They got no clue. He's been all over the place. And so I'm just sitting there watching this helicopter thinking it's entertainment, you know. Uh, we didn't have as many cable channels back then. And so, and so I'm watching it, and then out of the blue, out of nowhere, I promise you this is not a lie, there's a four-lane road, okay, so kind of like Van Buren, two lanes on one side, two lanes on the other side. A dude comes, <laughs> comes out of the shadows wearing an orange jumpsuit. I promise you I'm not lying to you, okay? Orange jumpsuit comes out of the shadows, and there happens to be a local prison nearby. And I'm, you know, I'm a smart kid, 14 years old, a helicopter, light moving. They don't know where he is. Guy in an orange jumpsuit. Ha! They're looking for him. Okay? And so I'm sitting there going, okay, this is interesting. And he goes, hey! And he starts talking to me from four lanes across the way. I'm going to die. I'm going to die. Here we are. Hey! Yes, sir! <laughs> from four lanes away. Praising God for all the cars that would go in between us. I'm like, please just keep on coming, right? And he goes, which way is 23rd? And I said, okay, which way is 23rd? That'd be like me asking you, where's the, where's the 10 freeway? How do you not know where the 10 freeway is when you live in Goodyear? That's where you mark everything, north of the 10, south of the 10, right? And then we're on 32nd and Barrett. If he just would have went one street over, he would have found 31st and then 30th and then 29th. And it would have kept on going until he got to 23rd. So I'm going to think to myself, this guy's lost. Well, the streets are pretty, pretty, pretty self-explanatory. And, and, and uh, 23rd happens to be a main road. So what's a man to do? I go, hey, brother, it's like 10 streets down that way, man. Have a great night. 
That's what I told the guy. And he goes, thanks, man. See you later. I said, thank you. Went back to my house, locked the door, didn't even call the cops. I was too scared. That's one story in six months. Another helicopter story. Six, within six months, helicopter's going on. This time, the light is fixed, and the helicopter's going in circles, just circling. And I'm looking out the window, because I was smart enough to learn from last time, do not go out the door when you, right? And so I'm looking out the window, and my mom's in the room with me, and I go, Mom, Mom, the helicopter's going in the circles, and the light is fixed. That means they found them. The only issue is the helicopter light is on our house. So the helicopter's going in circles, Mom, but the light's staying on our house. And I think to myself, uh, um, th- there's something wrong here. So my mom goes in. My mom is a little spunky, little Hispanic little lady. She opens the door, and she sees four police officers. She goes, she goes excuse me, officer, what's going on? He goes, ma'am, ma'am, close the door right now. Close, you got to lock the door right now. And I'm thinking, Lose. He says, the man says close the door. Let's close the door. She goes, no, 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 what's going on, officer? Ma'am, I need you to close and lock the door right now. So I slam the door, and I like it. She goes, but I'm a hardworking woman. I don't deserve this. Which I always thought was funny. He's like, oh, well, maybe the criminal will go, okay, well, let's go to another house because this is a hardworking woman at this house. <laughs> next morning we found out because our next-door neighbor was a, a retired uh, police uh, officer and listened to the CB for fun. He's like, yeah, there was a criminal on your roof. A criminal on your roof, and they were trying to detain him, and that's why they, they don't knock the door later and go, hey, we just want to let you know we got the criminal. You just, they just leave, and you're like, well, what's going on? Story number two, within six months. Number three, cars out front, same house. Cars out front of the, uh, in front of the, uh, the house get stolen. Which, I don't know why, but when you're 14, you're like, yes, hope they strip it. And they did. I'm like, sweet, we get new tires, new rims. I mean, it was like awesome. The insurance company pays for all of it. So we're all stoked. Car got stolen. We get it back. looks new. So we thought we got a new car, right? My brother and I are driving to school. We're all happy about it, looking, feeling good about our car. And we hear clink, 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 clink. Finally, we pull over, and we, we look at the four tires, and we notice that one of the tires only has one lug nut out of the five that should be there. We thought, well, shoot, if we went on the freeway, it would have, you know, would have flown off. We go to the store and buy f- four more lug nuts. You know, they cost $5 each, 20 bucks. I'm like, maybe somebody's stealing these things just to, you know, to sell them. I don't know. They're brand new lug nuts. They're pretty. I don't know why. But anyway. So we put them on. We thought, well, so much for that. The next morning we wake up, we go outside in the car, and there's one lug nut missing. After we had put five total, there's one missing. This is a true story. I'm like, what in the world's going on? I don't think anything of it. Four will hold it. Next day, come out that, and there's two lug nuts missing. So this time I go, you know, I'm going to stay up all night long until I find out who's stealing those lug nuts and why. I don't know what I was going to do when I found them. What are you going to do? What are you going to do? Are you stealing your lug nuts? Will you go outside? You don't go outside. We learned that. But I was just, I'm, you know, I stayed up till 2.30 in the morning staring at the car at the front window trying to figure out who, who in the world is doing this. Finally, I get too tired. I go to bed. We go outside the next morning, and there's three lug nuts missing. Somebody is stealing our lug nuts one by one. Finally, that was a story that put an end to all things when says, we're moving. They don't want us in this community. And the funny thing is, growing up, that was like the house, the nicest house in the nicest area that we had grown up, and we thought we had made the high life when we moved there. Uh, and there's other stories that happened. Another situation where the helicopter came, it was down the street a little bit, 40 cop cars, were just in six months' time. And I think it's like, what in the world's going on? What in the world's going on that all this is happening to me. And then I look back, and you guys know some of my story. My father was given a, a terminal, or, or given a diagnosis of a terminal in, illness that would end in his death before he was born. He went crazy, physically abusive, mentally abusive, emotionally abusive. Parents divorced because of it. My mother was a victim of a violent crime where she was uh, beat up with a stick, wasn't assaulted sexually, or, or, or didn't just, just beat the crap out of her. I don't know if it was a gang initiation or something. 
She dies an untimely death when I was 25. She was 55 years old. She'd be 70 this year, being able to enjoy the, grand, the grand, um, grandmother life. She leaves early. Had a child who was born 10 weeks premature. Had an uncle who was murdered in Colombia. You know, what in the world's going on? You ever feel like you won the lottery, like the bad lottery? Like, how do all these things happen in 30 years of life? Like, you just won the sucky life lottery. Congratulations, you're one in a million. You ever feel that way? I know I have. How do you make sense of it all? We live in a day today where there's so much religious hate and racial hate, and the killing of innocent people hits our television waves at least once a month. And we've gotten used to it. How do you make sense of it all? How do you stop yourself from getting cynical, embittered, and vengeful? How do you stop yourself in your heart from getting cynical, embittered, and vengeful? So that you don't live out a negative attitude in life, being cynical, embittered, or seeking vengeance on your own. The answer to that question is this. You got to give it up, and you got to lay it down. You got to give it up, and you got to lay it down. You got to give it up, and you got to lay it down. And that's what we're going to look at today. What is it going to take for me to give it up and lay it down? So I'm not embittered in my life in this world. So I'm not angry and I'm not letting it sour my health and the loved ones around me. So, so I don't become a rage-filled monster. You've got to give it up and you've got to lay it down. And for this, we're going to turn to the book of Psalms, Psalm 131. It's one of my favorite psalms, especially considering my life and what I've been through. I love this psalm. And those of you guys who've suffered any kind of brokenness, I hope this will minister to you like it's ministered to me. Psalm 131, it'll be on the screen. It's a psalm David wrote when he felt like no one was around, nobody was for him, everybody's against him, and that God wasn't even there for him. It's a short one, but it's my favorite. Psalm 131, it's on the screen. It says this. My heart is not proud, O Lord. My eyes are not haughty. I do not concern myself with, with great matters or things too wonderful for me. But I've stilled and quieted my soul like a weaned child with its mother. Like a weaned child is my soul within me. O Israel, put your hope in the Lord both now and forever. How do you give it up and lay it down? First, we're going to look at the laying it down portion. How do I lay it down? Number one, you've got to lay down your questions. It's going to be a hard thing, believe me. I just had a time in that worship time where I said, Lord, I lay it down again. I'll lay down those questions one more time. Got to lay down the questions. What's being described? It talks about a proud heart, haughty eyes, things that, that, that uh, concerning great matters, things too wonderful for me. And, and, and it's really a heart issue going on here. There's something going on with the heart proud heart going on, but I really want to take a look at this one little phrase in this section. It says this, things too wonderful for me. You see that? There are some things that are too great for me, too wonderful for me. And I think if we can explore that a little more, we'll understand it. You see, Job, in, in, in Job, in the book of Job, um, um, we see the same phrase he uses in his interaction with God. Same thing. He's kind of disappointed at life. He's kind of disappointed how things turned out. And he uses the same exact phrase that David used 
in Psalm 131. You remember the story of Job? God and Satan get together. Satan goes, oh, your, your, your servant Job, he's the most righteous guy on the earth. I bet you if you let me have free access to him, I bet you I could get him to turn against you. Oh, what do you mean? It's my servant. Oh, well, if you let me take away all of his livestock, take away all of his money, uh, if you let me give him all kinds of different sicknesses, I bet you there'll be a point where he turns against you. And then we'll see how righteous your servant is. And God says, okay, I'll let you. And God allows Satan to persecute and go after Job, even though Job was the most righteous man on the earth. And that's exactly what Satan does. Finally, he gets access to him, gets access to his family, kills off his family. So much so that Job's wife says, why don't you just curse God and die? I mean, you've been serving this God, and it's not been working out for you. Just curse him and die already. It'd be better than what you're going through right now. And Job starts getting a little antsy. He talks to his friends, and he starts talking about, where were you? I've been, my whole life, I've been living for you. Where have you been? Why is all this happening? It does not seem fair. It does not seem right that you would let this happen to me. And then God responds to Job. He goes, oh, you think you've been, you know so much. Where were you when I created the heavens? How did I do that? Did you see that? All of a sudden, the skies and this universe is created. Where were you? you think you can ask me questions. Where were you when I was doing all that? Oh, you knowledgeable one. And Job realizes he's out of whack. And in Job 42, it'll be on the screens, it says in verses 1 through 3, Then Job replied to the Lord, I know that you can do all things, and no plan of yours can be thwarted. And you asked, Who is it that obscures my counsel without knowledge? Who evaluates me without knowledge? And surely I spoke things I did not understand, Things too wonderful for me to know. Things too wonderful for me to know. In my questioning of you, and in, in, in my questioning of your sovereignty, of your control, in my questioning of you overseeing all these things in life, there's some things that I wonder about. They're too wonderful for me, though. I don't get access to those. I, I, don't, I don't get to know the answer to those things. They're reserved for a higher authority. They, they are not in my intellectual jurisdiction. They are of a classified nature, and I don't have that classification. They, and that classification only goes to God. Deuteronomy 29, 29, write it down. You go look it up. It says, the mysterious things belong to God. If you've ever been through crap in your life, you'll love that verse. I don't know the answer, but he does. And they belong to him. And David is saying the same thing. I'm not too proud to assume that God owes me any answers. My eyes aren't haughty enough to demand things of God. There are some things that are too great for me and too wonderful for me to know. They are classified, and I don't have that classification. You gotta lay down your questions. You gotta lay them down. I don't understand why this happened. I don't either. You gotta lay them down. How many times have I been in the counseling office with someone with the attitude, I won't trust God until he shows me why. Why did this happen? Explain to me why this happened if you want me to follow you. I can't believe in this God until he satisfies my cross-examination. 
I will not follow a God who does not first answer my concerns. And really what you're saying is you want to be God. You're God. Because God must answer your questions. How do I give it up and lay it down? Number one, you've got to lay down your questions. Number two, you've got to give in to God's embrace. You've got to give in to God's embrace. You've got to let God's embrace be enough for you. Is it enough for you, without knowing the answers, that you have his embrace? Look at verse 2. I have stilled and quieted my soul like a weaned child with its mother. Like a weaned child is my soul within me. It's really an interesting picture. Only a few times in Scripture do we see God kind of depicted as a woman, and here's one, here's, here's one of them. And it's a picture of an already weaned child with its mother, and it's symbolic of having a still and quieted soul. How is that? All of us may have been in the situation when we, that awkward situation, especially if you're a man and with another, you know, you're talking to a woman, and a child goes up to that woman and starts grabbing at her shirt. And, ooh, I, boy, this is awkward. I can't just leave, but, ooh. And, and she's thinking, man, okay. And, and obviously the child is saying, I'm hungry. I want to eat, right? It's even more awkward when that child's seven years old. You know what I mean? Just kidding. But, but the point is, you, you've been in that awkward situation. It's very obvious. That an unweaned child is a child who needs sustenance from its mother. And so one of the ways it shows you is it starts grabbing. I need something from you. I want something from you. But a weaned child doesn't get that comfort any longer. A weaned child has to settle for just the mother's embrace. And that's what brings comfort. You know, when I was six years old, I was like any other six-year-old kid. I wanted to be 10, you know. And I had an older brother who was nine, and I had a small bike with training wheels, and he had a big bike without training wheels, and he would go to his buddies around town, and they would jump curbs. And I really wanted to jump a curb, and I didn't want those blasted training wheels. I think I could do it without them. And so when no one else was looking, I stole his bike, and I went out. I said, I'm going to, not only am I going to ride this thing, I'm going to jump the curb, just like all the 10-year-old kids do. So I'm out there, I'm riding, my, riding the bike, and I run with full force going up to that curb, and I'm going I'm to jump the curb. I didn't realize you have to pull the handlebars up, you know, six years old. And so I'm, run, I'm going as fast as I can. I hit the curb, and I somersault forward. I'm in the air, and my face hits the curb. Thank goodness, you know, this beautiful face is intact. I didn't lose any teeth. <laughs> But you would notice, if you did right now, if you ran your tongue between your gum and your lip, the very top there, there is a piece of cartilage that goes across. Mine is severed. I don't have that. So I could probably like take my lip and go all the way. I won't do that for you. But the point is, it's severed. And it was because of that incident. I'll never forget it. Of course, I'm bleeding all over the place. I'm caught because now they're going to know that I rode the bike. And, and I'm trying to find mom. She's across the street at a neighbor's house. I'm crying and screaming. And I go to her, and, and she takes a towel and some ice, and she puts it. And I see the bloods all over, all over my shirt. I see it all over the towel. And it's just bleeding profusely. And it's interesting. It didn't stop bleeding, and it didn't stop hurting, and it was swelled for, for who knows how long, like three or four days or something like that. But something about sitting in my, the, my mother's lap 
It was still bleeding, and it was still painful, but it was okay. It was okay. Even though the pain is there, even though the blood's there, it was okay. Because I was in her lap. That is the picture of what's going on here. David's, David's inner soul is quieted and comforted, not by answers to his questions, but by God's embrace alone. Like a mother with a weaned child. So I don't need to know why you would anoint me and then make me wait so long to become king. And I don't need to know why Saul, who is the king, would try to kill me several times, and several times I could have killed him, but I didn't kill him. I didn't lift a finger towards him, and he still keeps on trying to kill me. I don't need to know the answers to that. I don't need to know why, when I'm the one who made the mistake, and I asked you and begged you, please don't take this child away, why you let that child die. I don't need to know that. All I need to know is that you're here, and you're embracing me. I just need to know that your embrace is still available for me. And the question is, is that enough for you? Is that enough for you? Or do you have to have the answers? Do you have to have what God can give you? Your expectations, your entitlements. You gotta give in to God's embrace. And the only way you can do that is if you value his embrace as enough for you. And how many times have I been in the counseling office with people with the attitude of, No, I can't simply be content to know God's here and with me. I want him to fix this. And if he doesn't fix this, then I don't want him. If God will not order my life in such a way that corresponds with my expectations, I will not follow him. God, you can have all of me if enter whatever it is. And really what you're saying is you want to be God. You're God. Because God must answer to your expectations. How do I give it up and lay it down? Number one, you gotta lay down your questions. Number two, you gotta give in to God's embrace. And number three, you gotta put your hope in God. You gotta put your hope in God. Your source of hope needs to be God. Verse three, small verse. Put your hope in God. Not in yourself, not in your expectations, not in your plans, but in God. Verse three. O Israel, put your hope in the Lord both now and forever. In the Hebrew, this idea of hope is to wait, to cause the hope to wait in expectation, to put your hope in God. It's an imperative, it's a commandment. Hope in the Lord. In your situation, hope in the Lord. Wait on him to right the wrongs. Let him have his way. Don't require your way of him. So that in the midst of your craziness, you still put your hope in God. So when your spouse doesn't come back, you hope in the Lord. When he doesn't get rid of that illness that you've been begging and pleading him to get rid of, you still put your hope in the Lord. When you don't get that promotion that you were expecting, you hope in the Lord. When you had to file for for chapter 11, you put your hope in the Lord. When you lose the house, 
You put your hope in the Lord. When the divorce goes final, you put the hope in the Lord. When things don't work out the way you wanted them to. When he doesn't give you what you expected out of this life. You put your hope in the Lord. When he or she leaves you for drugs, alcohol, or sex, and abandons you and your family, you put your hope in the Lord. One day he will make right all things, but it may not be on this earth. Can you wait on him? Can you put your hope in him? But when he doesn't come through, can you trust him? You got to put your hope in the Lord. And how many times have I been in the counseling room with people with the attitude that would say, I'm too impatient to wait. I put my hope in things that I can see and things that I can control. When you do things in the way that I want you to do them, then I'll hope in you. When you answer my cross-examination, that's when I'll put my hope in you. And really what you're saying is, you want to be God. You're God in that situation. Because God must answer to your timing. And so you're elevating yourself above God. How do you stop yourself from getting cynical, embittered, and vengeful? You gotta give it up, and you gotta lay it down. Whatever it is that you're holding on to, and you know what, you know what I mean, you're holding on to it so tight. And God, if you just would figure this out for me, if you would just tell me this, or if you would just, just answer this question, then I will follow you. And that's not the way it works. I remember years ago on TV, it was on a cable channel, like National Geographic or something. It was a, I call them man shows, like shows that men like. It was like a uh, um, Navy SEAL show where they showed you all these Navy SEALs trying to become a Navy SEAL, and they'd get hundreds of them. The cream of the crop would be there, and only the best of the best could even try out. And they would put them through all this rigorous activity, push-ups, and, and, and you know, I can do 25 push-ups, but I can't, couldn't do that. You know, it's like they, they, they fire hose them, and then they do push-ups. They wake them up at 2 o'clock in the morning and do 500 push-ups and, and, and give them two hours of sleep and then make them go out and swim in the ocean, and, and they sleep deprive them. They, they just put them through this crazy activity. And the whole show is about how if you ever want to quit, all you got to do is go up and ring a bell. And so two and three o'clock in the morning with being hosed down by, by our fire hose, and you're doing push-ups and sit-ups and, and, and whatever else physical activity they're doing, you're hearing ding, 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 and then you have these commanders yelling in your ear, you want to give up too? You can give up right now. Go back there and ring the bell. Everybody's ringing anyway. We don't care. You got what it takes. And they keep on yelling and yelling in their ears. And only the best of the best make it through this. Ding, ding. I remember this one particular um, activity where they took about 20 of them, and they put them in the ocean waters, like so cold that it'd be hyperthermic. And there's a, a commander in charge who's in a boat, and he's walking, watching them. They have little bells on there. 
Life preservers. You want, you want out? You want to quit? Just ring the bell. Ring the bell. You can quit right now. And of course, there's soldiers arguing. I'm, I'm hypothermic. I'm dying. You can't, let, you can't do this or that. They argue and argue. And he goes, no, you're not. You're fine. You want to quit? Just ring the bell. And then, and then he goes to this one guy, and he goes, how are you doing, soldier? I'm fine. I'm good. I'm good. I want in. I love it. And he goes, no, you're not. Get him out of the water. You see, he was watching the symptoms of hypothermia. Not all the arguing, but the symptoms of it. And he noticed in that guy, he was actually getting hypothermic. So pull him out of the water. The test was more about whether or not you would subject your will to mine than whether or about you would be in real danger because I'm watching over you. Now follow me now. I believe God sometimes puts us in freezing cold water to test us to see if we'll subject our will to his, all the time knowing that he's going to be there to protect you from hypothermia. The question isn't really whether you can handle the cold waters. No one can handle the cold waters. The question is, will you subject your will to me? Will you trust me over yourself? Because in war times, we don't, know people, we don't need people to argue. We need them to do what we tell them to do, and they, we need to know that if we give them an order, they'll do it. And that's why they do all those things in, in, in military activities. And if you've been a part of anything like that, man, I just praise you. I, I, I wonder, I watch those things, wonder if I'm man enough to do that. I'm so proud of you for doing that kind of thing. But can you pass the test? The test is to see if will you trust him in the midst of the craziness. I guess my question to you today would be, when are you going to give up? When are you going to lay it down? And I do enough, enough, enough counseling around here to know that I'm talking to a lot of people. I'm not just talking to an anomaly. Whatever it is you're holding on to, and you're, if God would just give me this, I would give him myself. If God would just answer this, and I, why did you allow this? Why did you allow it? Why, would you, why didn't you stop it? In fact, you could do that right now. If that's you, you just, just take your fist. Just do this for me real quick. Grab your fist and squeeze them. Put, take all the tension of life and just put them right there and squeeze it in there and then do this. Man, you can feel the release. You can feel, it feels great. You, all the tension right there, and you just release, and it feels awesome. When are you going to release? When are you going to surrender? When are you just going to go, you know what? There's some things too wonderful for me. There's some things too, too, too a higher classification. I don't get to ask, ask that question. I don't get to have an answer to that question. Instead, I'll just be content with your embrace. Just put your arms around me. And I give up. I surrender, Lord. You're in charge. I'm not. You're in control. I'm not. That's enough for me. That's enough for me. When are you going to do that? When are you going to release it? When are you going to release it? I'm hoping you'll release it today. You got to give it up, and you got to lay it down. I'm going to have the team come back up and lead us through that song. We sang it earlier today. We sang it last week. It's become kind of the anthem song for this series. 
And by the end of that song, it just says the refrain over and over and over again, I lay it down, I lay it down, I lay it down. And I know some of us are out there grabbing on right now, and we've been holding on so tight, maybe for five years, 10 years, 20 years, and it's time to release. And I'm hoping that that song will be the living embodiment of what you're doing in your heart. And so we're gonna dim the lights a little bit. Gabe's gonna sing. And it comes to the end of that song where it says, I lay it down, I lay it down. If that's you, I don't care if you need to stand up, put your hands in the air to express that. I don't care if you need to sit down, put your hands in your face to express that. If you're more quiet and just tears come down your face when you express that. Or if you're expressive, whatever it is for you, you do it. And don't leave today in this opportunity without releasing and saying, I lay it down. I'll come back up to pray afterwards with you. My challenge to you is lay it down. That you have broken, set me walk again. Heal me, Jesus, heal me. Let the lips that you have silenced simply talk again. Oh, sing again. Die and let down. Die and let down. Heal me, Jesus, heal me. Let the bones that you have broken simply walk again. Heal me, oh Jesus, heal me. Let the lips that you have silenced simply talk again. Close again. Cry and let down. Cry let down. Cry let down. Cry let down.
Father, I just pray that there's a lot of business going on today. The people in their hearts are saying, and I'm taking that fist that was so closed and so tight, and I'm opening it up, and I'm releasing it, and I'm surrendering to you, and I'm laying it down, giving up my questions, laying down my, my expectations before you, things that I, that I feel like you should have done, that I'm upset with you, I'm bitter at you about. Whether it's this day and age and the life that we live in this crazy world, I lay it down. You're in control. You're the boss. I'm not. Things too wonderful for me. I'm okay with that. I'm content simply to have your embrace. Let that be true of us today. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for joining us today. Why not ask God to change your life so you can go and change your world for Him? To find out more about our church online, go to www.compasschurch.info and we'll see you next time.